Good afternoon and welcome. My name is Maureen Conway. I'm Vice President at the Aspen Institute and Executive Director of the Economic Opportunities Program. And on behalf of myself and my colleagues, Jamie Fall and Renita Jane, we're really thrilled to welcome you to today's conversation on transformation in 2020, how 2020 accelerated digital transformation at companies and what that means for frontline workers. At the Economic Opportunities Programs, we advance strategies, policies, and ideas to help low and moderate income Americans connect to and thrive in today's changing economy. And we've been focused on this work for over 25 years, expanding individuals' opportunities to connect to quality work, to start businesses, and build economic stability. In this work, we recognize that race, gender, and place play an outsized role in determining who is included in economic opportunity and who is shut out. And we, in our work, we recognize these inequities and we try to uh, address them to build a more inclusive economy and advance uh, a more inclusive vision of economic justice. Um, you know, and in this past year, these inequities have really been highlighted in the experience of the pandemic and the associated economic fallout from that. At the same time, We've all experienced how our work is becoming more digital as we're presenting this to you digitally. So we're definitely having more digital in our work experience. And while it is hard to predict the future, it's also hard to imagine that some of these digital changes aren't here to stay. And this is going to have profound uh, impacts for, for workers and for the skills workers need to bring to work and how they're able to advance their careers. So we're really excited to have this uh, conversation today, um, to have a panel of employers that my, my colleague Jamie Fall will be moderating, who will share their stories from 2020. Um, we'll also be uh, hearing about research over the past six months about how the pandemic has um, heightened attention to racial inequities that affect employment. We're sharing that research today. So we have a really robust conversation uh, plan for you all today on how all of these trends are intersecting and what that might mean for us all going forward. I really want to thank very much our colleagues um, at Strata Education Network and Walmart.org who have supported this work and really been great um, thought partners in this work. Um, and I also want to thank our partner Training Industry who assisted us with the survey of employers that you'll hear about today. Just a few quick things on our technology. Um, all attendees are muted during the webinar. Closed captioning is available. If you need that option, please do use that. Uh, just to, to activate it, just click the CC button on the bottom of your screen. Um, we're delighted to have you all with us here today. Uh, please introduce yourselves to each other and share comments and resources in the chat. Um, that's great. We like to offer that opportunity. Uh, and we'd love to hear, hear what, you're, what you're up to. For your questions, please put those in the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen, and we'll get to as many questions today as we possibly can. Uh, we also encourage you to tweet about this conversation using the hashtag upskilling. Uh, and if you have any technical issues during the presentation, um, please email us at eop.program at aspeninstitute.org. Okay, I'll try that again. eop.program at aspeninstitute.org. Uh, finally, this webinar is being recorded and will be shared via email after this event uh, and also posted to our website. 
And it is now my great pleasure to introduce Daryl Graham, Senior Vice President of Philanthropy at Strata Education Network, who will offer opening remarks. Daryl, over to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Maureen. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with all of you today. Uh, I share the stage with some wonderful people we've had a great opportunity to work with during this outstanding work, which you'll hear about from Jamie and team later. Uh, I want to say thank you to uh, many of my colleagues from Strata who are here today. And I do want to thank Patty from Walmart.org, who's been a, a wonderful partner and allowed us to take place with this effort, uh, along with the team at, at the uh, Upskill America uh, Aspen Institute partnership. So as many of you know, Strata is a national social impact organization, one built to make a conscious and sustainable effort, not just to improve the current post-secondary education to employment system, but to shape the future path as well. Our approach combines innovative research, strategic philanthropy, and investments in a network of mission-aligned affiliate organizations devoted to supporting students and workers throughout their careers. To understand Strata it is to know first and foremost about those we seek to serve. There are approximately 60 million people in America with varying situations loosely and tightly tethered to a system that does not serve them well. Alarmingly, there are real and systemic barriers preventing their, these individuals from starting academic or skills-based programs, obtaining meaningful employment, and overcoming conditions beyond their control. Six million of those are ages 16 to 24 who are not currently enrolled in school, attending training programs or employed. 44 million of those are working age adults, age 25 to 64, facing the greatest income and educational inequities. 10 million of them are low-income college students, which is half of the post-secondary student population, facing the most significant systemic barriers to completion. So what does that mean for us today? So glad you're asking. Living in this para-COVID-19 world, it was around this time last year when the nation was responding to the early stages of the global pandemic and a little over two months before America again was forced to acknowledge the social and racial inequities in the wake of the killings of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd. I remember strolling around downtown Indianapolis the weather was great, streets were sterile, and buildings were boarded up. It was eerie, a ghost town. I found myself thinking about employers, how the shift in how we work would affect the future of employees, adult learners, and those Strata, Strata seeks to serve. Our collective lives are forever changed because of this pandemic and the racial inequities that we suffered last year. But what do we need to know so that we can improve the entire education to employment system. The best thing about societal questions and seeking answers is the power of connection and learning. In fact, it is what I appreciate most about my role at Strata, working with incredible leaders like Jamie Fall at Upskill America, our co-sponsor, Patty and team from walmart.org, who you'll hear from later, Signing on to be a sponsor of this wonderful research project was an easy yes for three reasons. First, the employer and workforce perspectives are critical as we take stock of what's needed to improve the post-secondary education to employment system. Second, many of us hold a seat at the table. 
And today's discussion will shine a light on the stories and perspectives without an intermediary translating this information to us and for us, and mostly for employers. We can carry the direct communication from the leaders closest to the work and the workers back to our decision-making processes. Let's leverage this learning that we'll hear about today across the board. And lastly, we will walk away with an understanding of the game-changing skills in critical frontline industries through the lens of equity, agility, and how to move forward progressively. So if you can't tell by now, I am thrilled to share the screen with such an esteemed panel and proud to be a co-sponsor of research, of this research that will advance and improve, improve others' lives. So we look forward to this discussion. We hope that you are engaged and we hope that this is a, a game changer for you as well. Jamie, we're in your hands. Thank you, Daryl. I appreciate you being with us today. Thank you for your uh, time today and for your support of this important work. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Fall. I'm director of Upskill America. Thank you for joining us today to discuss how 2020 accelerated transformation at companies and what that means for frontline workers. This event is part of a year-long study we are conducting with the support of Strata Education Network and Walmart.org. In conjunction with this webinar, we're also releasing the results of an employer survey that we conducted in January. We have an outstanding panel that's gonna join us shortly, but first, I would like to introduce my colleague, Renita Jane, Senior Evaluation Manager at the Economic Opportunities Program, who's going to hit some of the highlights from the survey results. Renita? Thank you, Jamie. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen really quickly. Uh, so I'm gonna share the highlights um, from our recent survey. And also if you look in the chat box, there's a link to the full results of the study um, in there as well. Um, but in January, 2021, we partnered with Training Industry to field a survey um, to learn from business leaders about how the events of 2020 really impacted their company in a range of ways, um, including their operations and their workforce practices, as well as the kinds of skills that have become increasingly important for frontline workers and the ways that they're supporting their employees during these challenging times. We were able to learn um, a lot about the breadth of experiences um, that companies are experiencing from the survey. Uh, to give you a little bit of background about from who we learned from, survey respondents included executive and senior leaders who are responsible for the hiring, uh, training and development, supporting employee engagement, and as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts at their and then you can see on the slide, um, the range of industries that the survey respondents that work in, um, which includes nonprofits, healthcare, manufacturing, and the retail and food service. Survey respondents also included large employers as well as small businesses who we know have been particularly hard hit during the past year. Um, you'll see on this slide that almost half of the respondents, 46%, work for a company that employs fewer than 500 employees. Now I'm going to turn um, to provide a little bit of context and to describe what survey respondents shared about how COVID-19 and other events in 2020 influenced our business operations and workforce practices. And I really just wanted to start it off by highlighting this remark from a business leader who noted that their world really turned upside down um, this past year and that they realized and they liked the view 
Um, and I think you'll hear some similar sentiments during our conversation today with the panelists as well. This slide has respondents' answers to a question where we asked them to identify their top three concerns for their business. And employee safety and well-being was ranked first, followed by concerns related to financial stability for businesses. And in many ways, this really reflects what we learned from our interviews with business leaders um, as well, that their ability to retain their employees is increasingly critical for operations and business success during this time. And overall, companies reported a mix of experiences with respect to business growth and customer demand. We did see some trends with respect to sectors and business size. For instance, we learned that larger businesses with more than 500 employees reported that they fared better than smaller firms. And with respect to sectors, we learned about a mix of experiences. Um, for example, we heard from a number of essential healthcare and retail businesses that they found themselves in a position where they were really struggling to keep up with customer, customer demand this past year. Um, we learned from manufacturing leaders that, you know, their experiences really varied in terms of market demand and customer demand and how that impacted their ability to stay open and operations during this time. Um, and then we heard from a number of professional services and tech firms that they were really able to remain stable during this time and in some cases even grow. We also asked survey respondents to describe how the pandemic had impacted HR practices in a range of different ways. Um, and you'll see them here reflected on this slide. Um, and not surprisingly, we heard from the majority of respondents that most of these um, practices were impacted in the areas of recruiting, interviewing, hiring, and training. Similarly, um, over a third of the respondents also reported that they made changes to their recruiting, hiring, and training practices to address racial inequities in employment. Um, I also wanted to flag this 22% that reported none of the above. Um, in open-ended responses, we did hear from a number of respondents that shared that their companies had changed um, HR practices prior to 2020 to address um, inequities in employment. So we thought that would be helpful to also make a note of. And then finally, the majority of respondents also reported that their businesses needed to, you know, pivot and train differently and train employees to perform new procedures for their jobs, as well as um, cross training for um, to do multiple jobs at the company or training to do a different job at a company was also a common practice during this past year. And so with that, that's a really quick snapshot of the survey results. Um, we do have the full results available, but we thought it'd be helpful framing for the upcoming discussion, and I'll turn it back over to Jamie. Great, thank you, Renita. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our panelists. If you would like more information on their careers and backgrounds, I invite you to see their full bios uh, linked from the event page. Our panelists are Patty Constantakis, Director of Corporate Philanthropy, Walmart.org, Hal Din, Director of Global Digital Industrial Operations at Electrolux, Missy Sparks, Vice President of Talent Management, Hoshner Health, and Julius Ridgely, Manager of Talent Development, Eaton Park Hospitality Group. So I would like to invite each of you to tell us a little bit about your company and your role there, and briefly describe, if you would, what 2020 was like for your business, including its impact on staffing. Um, how could we begin with you? 
Hi, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Perfect. Hi, uh, my name is Howdy, and as Jamie mentioned, uh, I work for Electrolux. Uh, Electrolux is a $14 billion uh, Swedish company uh, that uh, designs and manufactures appliances uh, worldwide. Uh, and what I do at Electrolux is uh, I lead digital transformation for North America. Last year, we saw an exponential uh, growth or demand for our products and services. And luckily, before the pandemic, we started our digital transformation journey, in particular, uh, deploying our smart factories, which is automating and digitizing our factories, so that uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, we were actually able to keep our operations running uh, so that we can produce the products that were high demand. But what also was highlighted during the pandemic was the fact that we need to improve our upskilling and reskilling associated with the digital skills that are needed to keep our smart factories running. So looking forward to have that conversation about what we're doing in that space uh, today. Great, thank you, Hal. Um, Missy, how about you? Hi, great. I'm Missy Sparks with Oshner Health. We are Louisiana's largest not-for-profit private employer. And we have about 32,000 team members who are helping to change and save lives in the Gulf Coast. We see close to a million patients annually. And as you can imagine, 2020 was an opportunity to do that even more so. So all of our operations pivoted in response to COVID. And we have many lessons learned that we look forward to sharing today, including those that will continue forward as we're in 2021, still in the midst of a pandemic, but certainly seeing a light, maybe not immediately ahead, but off in the distance, we can see it now. But we have changes that we have brought about to create a, a more just, equitable, not just a healthcare system, but a state that we're working toward, and that will continue to go forward with us. Great, thank you, Missy. We look forward to hearing more about that. Uh, Julius? Hello, thanks for having me. I'm Julius Ridgely uh, from Eaton Park Hospitality Group based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, we're a regional food service company um, that's been in business since 1949, uh, and our footprint covers uh, 13 different states um, and over 140 locations. Um, for our, uh, for our footprint, we also uh, have four distinct brands that service the family dining segment, the casual dining segment, the uh, fast casual dining segment, as well as contract food services uh, in higher ed and corporate dining. So we have uh, quite a bit going on. Uh, 2020, to say the least, was an interesting year. <laughs> um, lots of uh, uh, you know, interesting challenges to face. Uh, in my role uh, with the organization, I serve as manager of talent development. So I oversee performance management, uh, nine box talent reviews, succession planning, workforce planning, and uh, our DE and I uh, uh, initiatives. So I got to, to do a little bit of everything last year. Um, but I think the, the main things that we found out is that uh, we, can, we can function well in a crisis. Um, and uh, it's amazing how quickly you can figure out delivery and takeout uh, when your dining room gets closed. So uh, uh, it's something that we had argued about for years, but we were able to turn it around in about a week or two uh, once the pandemic hit. So Great. Thank you, Julius. Uh, Patty? Sure. I'm Patty Konstantakis. And... Um... I am, <clears throat> excuse me, um, part of the Walmart Foundation. Um, the Walmart Foundation is the corporate foundation for Walmart, um, which I'm sure all of you know who Walmart is. We're the largest retailer in the country with 
1.5 million associates in the US and 2.1 million worldwide. We have over 5,000 stores. We like to say that we are just 10 minutes, we're probably 10 minutes away from most people in this country. Um, my role at the foundation is a, is a really interesting one. I kind of have a dual role. The, the first of those roles is, is really a philanthropic role in which I get to participate in research projects like this and support um, grantees, um, nonprofits, and other not, um, thought leaders who are really working to create multiple pathways to economic opportunity for frontline workers. Um, the other half of my job is really being a consultant to the Walmart business. So we try to we try to take everything that we learn from our grantees and from all of the work that we do from a on the philanthropic side, and really um, bring that back to our HR department and our training and development part, um, department, and really try to work together as a team to really to to in, to improve um, the work that we're doing on the Walmart side, we we believe in this notion of of shared value. So we, we in our minds across Walmart and Walmart Foundation, we we truly believe that what's what is good for society and what's good for our associates is also good for business, and we try to operate our business that way. So, um, how has twenty twenty been for us? Well, as most of you probably know, we were counted as an essential business. Um, our workers never stopped working, um, and, and in, in all of that, we had all of the challenges around keeping our associates safe and at the same time sort of meeting the crazy demands for, for our services. So um, our in-store purchases stayed strong, but we also had this huge surge in pickup, <laughs> in our pickup services and in our online purchasing, right? So what that ended up meaning to us was that we actually needed to staff up like crazy to meet those new needs. So we had different kinds of, of roles that were that were that came to be suddenly that personal shopper suddenly a big role. Um, and then our distribution centers, we were moving things around and doing things quickly and we had to really staff up that. Um, and ultimately where we oh we also to, to say this too, because of all of our safety protocols in place too, we also needed to make sure that we had backup staff for the folks that were actually either getting sick or weren't feeling comfortable at all to come to work, right? During the, especially during the beginning of all of this. Um, so we announced in the midsummer that we were gonna hire 500,000 new associates and we did that. And then we added 250,000 more. Mm -hmm. Um, which has again been crazy. <laughs> um, and lately, our latest um, staff additions have been um, around our pharmacies, right? To staff up vaccination clinics and all that kind of stuff. And I'll, I can talk a little bit later about like what we did to, to, to do all of this hiring and, and what that meant for us. Great, Patty, let's just stay with that if you don't mind. I'd love to, to hear more about how Walmart was able to get that done, right? What changes did you have to make? within your hiring strategy, within uh, technology. Uh, tell us more. Okay. <laughs> well, the, uh, what we really needed to do was to, to hire quickly. Um, and so we, we did a couple of things. Well, we, we spread the word that we needed to hire quickly. Um, if, you're, if you thought about it, it's about, again, that initially it was about 500,000 folks. And so we let people know. What we really tried to do was reach out in our communities to areas where job loss was already the highest, right? So, so what we were trying to do was kind of, can we, 
Can we take the folks in, um, in hospitality, in the restaurant workers? Can those folks who were suddenly out of jobs, could we, could we reskill, cross-skill? Could we use some of their skills in, in our stores and in our work as well? Um, so, we, so we definitely did that. So some of, some of those um, workers that we hired were temporary workers and some of them, many actually were permanent um, because again, those new roles and, and, and the growth that we actually experienced in areas of our company that we hadn't had before um, ended up being permanent. But what was really interesting about all of this was that we restructured our hiring processes to go essentially from an average of about two weeks to hire to literally 24 hours for some of our common, um, common roles, right? Especially in the fields, if you're thinking about the stores. And the way we, we basically did this is we, we, we adjusted our, our, our whole application system. Just, we just said, hey, let's do this differently. Um, so our, if you came on to apply, what you would do is if you're as an applicant, rather than applying to a specific job, you would apply to, um, you, you could mark your interest across several different roles. You could mark your interest in location and across your different roles. So then when a manager went to, to um, to hire basically what they, they what what they got um, as part of their um, pool. They they basically got a bigger talent pool quickly of all the people that were interested in all the different kinds of roles, so that they could move very very quickly on on all of that. And it and it's really turned out um, like we don't we don't intend to go back. This ends up being a very very interesting way to hire um, from an equity point of view. Honestly, if you if you if you make that talent pool larger <laughs> in every case, you will more than likely get a, a nice diversity of candidates who are interested in all of those roles. Um, so like I said, I don't think we, our, our intention is to keep that. And then we're trying to figure out how we can take that same approach to hiring um, across different, different areas as well. So that's it, it from, as you talk to the people in the field, um, they say it made a huge, huge, huge difference in the way that they could they could they could quickly hire um, qualified talent. Great, thank you, Patty. Very, very interesting. A wild time, huh? So, uh, Missy, uh, I know you had lots of hiring needs as well. Could you share how Oshner responded to meet your recruiting and hiring needs? Absolutely, and ours is slightly pivoting from Patty's, where when you're looking at healthcare, some certification certificates are required for many of our positions. But like Walmart, we wanted to be a part of our community, and we knew that there were a number of individuals from hospitality, healthcare, from our great restaurants and hotels in New Orleans that would be looking for opportunity and were right now unemployed. So we very quickly pivoted through our workforce development efforts and stood up some virtual learning opportunities with some partners we've had in our community for the last 10 years or so. And we were able to transition hospitality workers to healthcare career pathways. We were able to do this in partnership with our workforce development boards, the mayor's office for the city of New Orleans, and really say, how can we who are an essential place of employment still with need work to be a source of economic opportunity within our community and helping to heal our patients. So we pivoted that way and were able to stand up a four week patient care technician, a certified nursing assistant program. And we ran two of these with some funding from some philanthropic arms here and agencies here in New Orleans. 
and we were able to bring in 100 new team members over the course of just a month to two months in the summer when we really needed some additional people as backup inside of our units. As our staff on the front line were facing many unknown, and if they were getting struck by COVID, if that had happened to them, whether in the community or elsewhere, then we had somebody at the ready trained, we can suit up in personal protective equipment and bring in, and they were ready to make a difference and they had a way to continue to support their families. So that's one way we did it. We also shortened time to hire. So like Walmart, we went from two weeks on average to get somebody in from post pre-hire status into the system by bringing employee health appointments out into our community. We set up some additional sites where people could go on the day of hire and we're able to move to same day hiring. We delayed the background check so that instead of having it as part of the pre-hire piece, somebody could actually go through the hiring phase and come in and we can complete that background check after they've arrived. We had already begun as an organization to look at some of the barriers to entry for somebody who may have a prior record that we've already waived some of that from our past way of being. And having done that previously allowed us to be even faster with that hiring piece. We set up a process where our talent acquisition recruiters would do the screening and the interviewing of candidates. And then we were able to share with our hiring managers, we have this candidate at the ready to come to you. And that way we took away the need to have an additional step in the interview process. And we were able through workforce development to give those hiring managers a ready now member from our community, ready to take the next role on their team. So that's been some of our approaches that we will continue to carry forward to continue to work within the community and to reduce the time to hire. Great, Missy. I think it's also important, not only were you dealing with the pandemic, but you also had hurricanes down in your area as well. And I know that you uh, set up a career center to try to help with some of that for your internal uh, uh, staff. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so kind of an extension of our redeployments. We have multiple types of employees within a healthcare system. So we have our corporate employees doing the support services. We have our clinic employees, medical assistants, licensed practical nurses, who are more around that nine to five, Monday through Saturday clinic operations. And then you have your 24 seven hospital operations. During the height of the pandemic, it is a hospital that really needed to be staffed up. Clinics went and reduced the scope of practice. A lot of that moved to digital. And we'll talk about how that, what that did for those team members as we moved them to be telehealth workers in many cases, or else they became a part of our hospital unit work or worked at a temp check site. Well, we also had the misfortune of several hurricanes, one of the busiest hurricane seasons that took us significantly into the Greek alphabet. If you remember, we got all the way to Hurricane Iota. And one of the areas that got hit really hard was Lake Charles, Louisiana. And we had medical assistants there whose homes were destroyed and they were traveling now and sheltering at hotels that had been largely vacant in the New Orleans area. And through our career center though, we have a commitment that we are here to keep our team members employed with us. We didn't want to see anyone 
by the circumstances of COVID or a hurricane, not able to meet their family needs. So when those individuals were repositioned to a hotel in New Orleans, we were able to put them with one of our internal career coaches who could then get that individual redeployed to a New Orleans clinic where they could then begin working again. And when they got pivoted up to Baton Rouge when New Orleans was under a hurricane threat, we were able to do the same. So we were able to sustain employment for team members who may have been weeks to months out of their home as their homes had to be rebuilt from being destroyed in a hurricane, keeping them and their families supported throughout this period of time. So that is something our career center is doing and continues to do. It is also a source for us to make sure that it's an economic opportunity source. A lot of our frontline workers they haven't had always the same opportunities to know about career paths and how else they could grow their career. So we do a great job of bringing unemployed, underemployed into career pathways, but our commitment to our team members is that's a launch pad on your career. It's not the destiny. So the career coaches work with our incumbents then to help them determine the best career pathing opportunity for them. And if we see that there are skills that we need to bring up, then we use programs like Oshner Scholars, we use our workforce development programming, we use internal Oshner Learning Institute to help to bring those individuals new skills that carry them from the entry point to the next position on the career path. And then we continue until they are in all the way up to CEO or the position of their fullest desire. And that's what we're aiming to do. Great, thank you, Missy. And Julius, beyond recruiting and hiring, the pandemic brought about significant changes to staffing and operations in 2020. Uh, could you share what that looked like at Eaton Park? Yeah, so uh, for us, uh, things were a, a little bit different um, with the, uh, the different COVID responses across our footprint. So we were dealing with different responses at the state and local levels. Um, but, uh, but one thing that impacted all of us uh, across all of our brands what was the closure of our dining rooms in a lot of instances. Uh, so when you're, when you're takeout business, uh, and we were, we were forward thinking, uh, noticing that the, the trend in the business was moving towards a lot more takeout. So we were prepared to do takeout business. Takeout was our about 12 to 15% of our sales going into the pandemic. But when takeout becomes 100% of your sales almost overnight, um, you got you to gotta, you gotta think quickly and you got to be nimble. So um, on the downside for us, uh, we unfortunately did have to set, put some of our team members on temporary layoff. Uh, which was very uncommon for our organization. Uh, like I said, we've been in business for, since 1949, and we've never had to, to, to do something like that. Um, so that was difficult for us. Um, we did, we were able to, to innovate a little bit, though, and find some different opportunities to keep people uh, in jobs as much as we could. Um, so we partnered with United Way, for example, to provide school lunches. Uh, to students who, who you know, previously were, were attending school and, and, and relying on lunch or breakfast uh, at schools, and sometimes, unfortunately, as their maybe their only meals of the day. So we were able to, to provide millions of school lunches uh, uh, throughout the pandemic by partnering with the United Way. Um, that enabled us to use our facilities uh, and space and, and, and uh, some of our team members to, to produce those lunches and, and, and allow us to give hours where maybe we wouldn't have been able to without that. Um, the other thing I think that that was really uh, a big for us 
um, was since that arrow was pointing up on takeout, um, we also were able to, to harness the delivery. Um, so again, we argued for years about whether or not we should do delivery, but we figured it out in about a week and a half. Uh, and, um, and that created some new opportunities as well. Uh, so, you know, uh, a lot more uh, need for, for, for staffing in that pickup window, uh, needs for new technology uh, to, to help uh, speed up the process. Uh, when people are, uh, are lined up in your pickup window uh, 10, 15 cars deep uh, at one time to get their orders, you got to figure out how to, how to get them moving quickly. So, um, uh, there were some new opportunities, which was great. Um, unfortunately, like I said, having to lay off some of the team members was, was, was painful for us, but we were happy that we were able to bring the vast majority of them back by the summertime. Um, and in between, we were able to, to figure out different ways to leverage uh, some of the resources that we had to make sure that our team members on temporary layoff were cared for, uh, whether it was providing meals uh, uh, for families um, uh, of our team members, um, uh, ways to, to extend uh, health, health insurance and benefits uh, to, to team members on temporary layoffs. So uh, it, it, as much as it was difficult, uh, there was a lot of positives um, as well that we were able to pull out of the situation um, because we have the, some of the best people in, in the business, as I'm sure Missy will, uh, will say, as, as uh, they've moved into retail and other things uh, during this time. A lot of really great people. Um, out there, and we're happy that we were able to take care of them to the best of our ability. Thank you, Julius. Uh, how Electrolux has had a fascinating experience with using technology to meet the needs of these times. Could you talk a little bit about Electrolux's shift to smart factories and how that has affected your staffing and operations? Yes, yeah, so, so just a, a brief definition of what exactly is a smart factory. Uh, it's when we go into a manufacturing facility and we deploy robots. Uh, software, artificial intelligence, and a whole bunch of automation uh, so that uh, the end result is for us to produce the maximum amount of our finished goods or products uh, at the highest quality. So uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, luckily we started down this path uh, years before the pandemic. So we were uh, a bit automated in the plants uh, that, that were running in North America. So when the pandemic hit and uh, a lot of the uh, factories were limited around the number of people that they can bring in and also the social distancing associated with it, uh, we weren't heavily impacted compared to a non-smart factory because we had a lot of automation in place. Uh, so that showed a lot of uh, the benefits associated with smart factories. And then most importantly, that gave us a chance to show that the technology itself, right? The, the robots, the automation, the artificial intelligence actually works. Uh, and what has happened since then, and uh, you see this across the, the industry around manufacturing is, uh, about 95% uh, of the industry is accelerating or doubling down on smart factories. Uh, and as you imagine, uh, what's that's, uh, that's caused us uh, a bit of heartburn because uh, even before the pandemic to get uh, these digital savvy uh, people into our plants was, uh, was challenging. Now with the demand uh, you know, tripling for, for this type of skill set, uh, we're, we're challenged to get uh, the, the right digital skill sets into our plants. Um, so that's why we and the other uh, organizations uh, in manufacturing uh, are also uh, increasing our efforts around reskilling and upskilling when it comes to uh, these digital skills. So there's, there's plenty of opportunities now when it comes to the digital space, but the problem is uh, we need to build that bridge to get people who aren't very digital savvy to go and get trained so that they can partake and engage in the, these digital solutions. 
Great. So, um, Hal, let me stay with you for a minute then. So, obviously, digital skills are a big issue for your uh, smart factory workers, but what about the other workers within your company, whether it's leadership, HR, whatever it might be? Um, does it affect them at all? Yeah, that's very interesting because uh, this is another learning that we had is um, since we have a smart factory that's uh, pretty much fully digitized, we have tons of digital data. So now all this digital data can be used in our corporate headquarters for sales, uh, for them to look at the data and, you know, integrate that data uh, of uh, forecasting sales with our production. Uh, finance can look at the data and also come up with innovative ways to reduce costs. Uh, and then supply chain can look at it and, and help us with our logistics. But also, uh, uh, corporate needs to have that skill set uh, training around uh, absorbing a large number of digital information uh, and uh, using some artificial intelligence, using uh, some digital tools that uh, people aren't used to. So again, uh, not just in the plants, but we've also realized in our corporate headquarters, uh, for pretty much all of our functions, we also need to provide some upskilling and reskilling around digital, uh, the digital mindset. Great, thank you. So that's a great segue then to talk about uh, skill needs. After all, we couldn't have an upskilling event without talking about ways employers are helping their workers gain the skills and experiences they need to advance in their careers. So as a preview uh, for our conversation, I'm gonna ask Renita to join us again and to share a few more slides uh, our uh, study results. Thanks, Jamie. Um, I'll go ahead and share the slides. Um, so this slide shows the survey responses about uh, rising skill needs for frontline workers. And what you'll see in the results is that um, foundational skills, such as working in a team, um, problem solving, as well as um, the ability to um, implement new health and safety procedures and new types of customer service skills really became more important than ever this past year. Um, I think you'll hear about it more um, in the conversation is head ahead. Um, but we also saw that the results indicated that the pandemic really accelerated the need for frontline workers to build a strong digital skill set, is how this is describing. So if you look at the next slide, um, we wanted to unpack like what are digital skills, because we know that that covers a range of skills. So we asked about what kinds of digital skills are becoming increasingly relevant for frontline workers right now. And these results ref really reflect the increased need to have a, a nimble and wide set of digital skills, including communicating in a digital environment, um, being able to manage increased automation, um, the skills to use basic office software and other te technology in the workplace. Um, so uh, the other thing that we wanted to ask about was about the skill sets for managers or frontline workers. Um, throughout our interviews, with business leaders this past fall, we've heard about this increasing importance of having strong managers who can support frontline workers, especially during these challenging times. Um, so we included this question in our survey to ask about what kinds of skills are most relevant for, frontline, for managers right now. Um, and what you'll see is that again, skills to support the implementation of health and safety procedures are at the top of the list. Um, digital communication and digital fluency are also really important right now, um, more so than they were over a year ago. Um, but we also wanted to highlight um, these skills such as building trust within the team, um, empathic management, cultivating inclusivity. Those were also really highlighted throughout our conversations and in the survey as well as being really critical skill sets for managers during this time. So that's just a highlight of the survey results and I'll turn it back over to you and our amazing panelists. Thank you, Renita. 
so for this segment of the conversation, it would be helpful to learn how uh, each of you are experiencing rising skill needs for frontline workers. Uh, Missy, in our conversations, uh, you described how digital skills are increasingly important for both frontline workers and managers, like Renita was just uh, talking about. Could you describe what Oshner Health is experiencing? Yeah, absolutely. For many of our frontline workers, this was the first time, especially in corporate and some of our clinical areas, where team members had to pivot from in-person, I show up at an office, I perform my typical duties, to remote work. Our telehealth, our digital health platform grew exponentially by more than 2,500% in a single month. So there was tremendous need for some of those medical assistants who were accustomed to rooming a patient in person in a clinic to how do I now engage in a digital conversation, mediated communication from my home? And how do I do that in a way that works for me and for the situation that I may be in? For our leaders, it was learning not only the digital fluency needs of their team, but also as leaders, how to lead with empathy, how to grow the ability to lead a remote team. So very quickly when we pivoted our workforce from home, our learning team developed training and curated a number of resources for leaders that they could begin to dig in deep and hone that skill set because we, would, we could see from our very first case of COVID on March 9th, 2020, that this was not going to be just a short-term situation, that this was gonna carry us into the next year. And we needed to prepare our leaders for leading remote teams as quickly as possible. So we began doing that. Some of the other skills that we know that are absolutely vital, cultural literacy. How do we train team members to really respect and to create a place where everyone belongs? And how do you help leaders through having difficult conversations? So some of those pieces we had already started with our DE&I work, but we were able to, in points of inflection over 2020, say we, gotta, we have to do more in this area. So it accelerated some of the training and some of the development that we already had underway. In terms of all of our team members, there was a need to continue to grow skills around collaboration. How do I work past silos? Because in a world where you have to be nimble and responsive in the moment, there's no room for silos. There are no room for being able to say, this is the way we've always done it. So shifting mindset and helping people adjust to that was equally important for our leaders to be able to manage with their teams. Certainly for healthcare in 2020, and I'm sure it's much like this for our other panelists, there were so many unknowns and there was fatigue and there was fear in our team members. So the whole role of mental well-being, of wellness, and how do we bring that into our training and into our leadership so that our team members are really experiencing us as an employer differently that the value proposition between employer and employee shifted. You are now part of our family. How do we make sure we are fully embracing each individual with the needs that they have? How do I encourage leaders to have more grace with pets and kids coming onto a Zoom meeting because it's going to happen and it's okay. 
So it gave us an opportunity to recognize the human element of work in a way that resonated. And we actually recognized that that's a skill set that we needed to have developed in our leadership way before COVID is live and lead with empathy, lead by trust. So those are some of the things we have seen. Digital is, it's pervasive. And part of the challenges that we still face is the disconnect between those who have access through broadband, those who have access through a hotspot, and those who may not, who may lack access, and how do we get messaging to them and opportunities to them. And that's certainly something where we are working with our high schools and community groups to shorten that gap so that everyone has equal access to entry into careers in healthcare. Great, thank you, Missy. Uh, Julius, how about you? Uh, what changing skill needs for frontline workers and managers uh, surfaced at Eden Park? Uh, well, I think uh, Missy hit a lot of them, but I will I will add on to a couple of those uh, items. Uh, one of the, the big things that we noticed really was um, uh, a need for more technology skill, right? Um, because again, when you're when you're introducing new devices, um, you know, like uh, ways to, to to for people to pay quickly um, and, and sort of speed up that process. Uh, and, and, and touchless pay options, um, you know, you need an opportunity to really get that education on how to utilize that technology in the hands of your frontline workers very quickly. Um, so uh, one of the things too was, was really how do we do that? So utilizing micro learnings was one of the things that we really uh, stepped up a lot. How do we take a, a topic uh, that normally we would do in person uh, <laughs> with training and have a, a big long rollout? How do we get that topic down to 10 minutes? So people can look at it very quickly, get the idea, and then go do it, right? Uh, so that was a big thing for us. Um, uh, one of the big things, too, was not no longer a need for specificity when it came to positions. Missy, Missy had mentioned this as well. Um, it, there was no ability to say, well, I only wait tables. I'm not I'm not going to wash the dishes. Um, there's always been a need for cross-deployment in the, in the hospitality industry. Anybody who's ever worked in the hospitality industry knows that, right? Um, and everyone also knows that nothing brings you together like a rush period. <laughs> All those differences can be put aside real quick uh, when, when you're in a rush period. So um, really uh, 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 pre uh, preparing our managers to do from a change management perspective, how do you quickly um, get these changes across to the team members uh, of the need to, to move around and do the different things? Um, uh, and, and, and how do you deal with these different uh, safety per, uh, per, uh, procedures and protocols as they change uh, sometimes from day to day? Um, so, so change management was a big skill that we need, uh, noticed as well. The last point that I would add is that really, um, you know, we had the COVID pandemic, but really in, in 2020, we had the, 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 the pandemic of racism um, as well. Uh, and so how do we equip our, our managers and our frontline workers uh, to handle a heightened sensitivity? Uh, around that area. Um, so again, really, really working on how do we get uh, uh, information and training out to our team members on how to avoid getting our brands canceled. Um, uh, how do we keep people from um, stepping on those, those, uh, those cultural landmines uh, without intending to. Um, and, and the nice thing for us is that we, we had already been on that you know, uh, I remember we were planning our, our, uh, our year uh, for 2020 back in, in, in November and uh, October of 2019. And we had already earmarked a lot of these things as things that we needed to do. How do we get this training in, in the hands of our team members? Um, so when the unfortunate murder of George Floyd happened, we were already ready to roll. It just, uh, 
accelerated our timeline <laughs> a little bit, but uh, but we had those plans in place. So um, those were some of the skills that, uh, like I said, don't want to do a ton of repeating from Missy, but those are the things that really stood out for us. Great, thank you. And so Patty, could you tell us uh, about Live Better You and the Walmart Academies and what role they're playing in supporting employee upskilling and also uh, as you uh, expand to more online offerings, what are you seeing as being the critical elements for workers being successful in those programs? Sure. So um, just to echo kind of one of the things that Missy said, um, that we at Walmart really believe that you can have a great career in retail or, or if nothing else, a great retail is a great place to start um, a great career in something, somewhere. You gain a lot of skills by being with us. So um, we believe pretty strongly in investing in our associates and, and, and actually Walmart believes pretty strongly in promoting from within. Um, you have people who have long, long careers at Walmart, in, including our CEO who started as a, as a as a store associate 25 years ago, and he's now the CEO. So that culture is, is embedded within Walmart and is, is important to us. So, um, so I, um, we've got two major sort of training and education programs at Walmart, um, both of which have actually been started within the last five years that Doug, our new CEO, or our, our CEO now, but he started about five years ago, and so they've 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 come to be since he's come to be as well. Um, the first one is our academies program, which is really that's our in-store, generally in-person um, training track that really is about lead leads from a store level associate to management. Um, and there's about 200 of these academies around the country, like I said, they're generally in person, but they have now, because of COVID, um, things have moved to virtual um, to a certain extent. <laughs> There's a lot more. Um, honestly, that particular, many of those roles are really um, designed to be on the job type of roles. And so then the, the training for them is, is, is obviously that, right? So we do, um, about 50% of the training in some of those roles is actually just in store. So it's a, the academies end up now, they're, they're moving to being kind of a hybrid um, uh, way of training. Um, the newest thing that we're um, testing with the academies is actually what we're calling the academies in the, in the community, which is offering some of these same classes to families and friends of associates in the, in the communities. Um, a lot of that, where, where, what we're seeing that move to is a lot of those digital skills. So as you're, um, as you're, as we talk about all of these new technologies, these new kinds of roles, et cetera, the thought in those academies in the community piece is, huh, are there, not, not only can we also help bolster digital skills in the community, but for those folks who also would like to come work for Walmart or work for other organizations where digital skills are important, how can we, how can we do some of that as well? So that's been an interesting, that, that has been since COVID. That is something we've started to do just super, super recently. Um, the other thing I'd say about academies, which is really interesting, is that most of the programs offer digital certificates or badges so that they can take those with them as they go. And several of them offer um, college credit as well, depending kind of on what that program is and how they align with certain kinds of um, college degree programs. The second major um, education program that we offer for our associates is called Live Better You. 
and it is known affectionately as our a dollar a day college degree program that also includes high school equivalency and skilled trade certificates. Um, they work with um, with key academic partners through Guild. We use Guild's platform and we're um, we are partnered with I want to, I don't even know, 30 different academic partners around the country um, to give these degrees. Um, most of those degrees or majors, there's, like, there's about 30 of them, um, align with the kind of career that you could build in retail or in, 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 in service sectors. So there are things like business, logistics, supply chains. Um, and then, like I said, some of the newer skilled trade um, certificates are around you know, IT or HVAC, et cetera. Um, What's nice about this program is that any full or part-time employee is a male is is eligible. So you just start to work at Walmart and you are eligible to start in this program if you want it. Um, since this program began about two years ago, there've been about 30,000 people enrolled. In fact, there are 30,000 people enrolled right now and they, they kind of come and go, but that our, our average enrollment at any one time is about 25,000, which is a lot. Um, and we've had something around 6,000 graduates in these two years, which is amazing. Um, and we kind of have this preliminary finding and I always, I, 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 I say it very gently and say it more anecdotal than anything else, but we're finding that our associates that go through LBU are more likely to get promoted faster than those that do not. Um, so the, I think, what you kind of asked, like, you know, what makes it successful and kind of where do we go from here? We believe really strongly in that notion of multiple pathways, right? And for us, multiple pathways means degrees plus skills. So what we try to offer in these two programs is, is the opportunity for you to, 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 to get what you feel like you need, right? So if what you want and need is a degree, how do we help you do that? If what you need to do is upskill in order to um, gain the skills you need to continue up your, your career pathway at Walmart or anywhere else, um, how about academies or any of that kind of stuff? So that's been important to us. Um, and then I think from a, from a successful point of view, um, in particular LBU, it's affordable. It's flexible, you do it on your time. Um, but I think a really important piece of it is that it's encouraged by Walmart. We encourage our associates to, to get involved. And so it's part of, you, you know, if, if you are enrolled in LBU and you're telling your manager, you've got something you need to do today <laughs> that's related to that, to, to the assignments for that work, um, you're encouraged to do it, which is, which is, I think, a key differentiator in a lot of ways. I will say though that we've found some of the same challenges that that you might find in in other programs and actually even in college um, is persistence, right? How do we keep people in these programs for the long haul? And we've found actually that the personal coaching, so some of the academic um, and career coaching that comes from Guild's platform, but in other cases within the academies, um, we've found that, that that coaching has really been a key factor in retention. Um, which is great. We are actually, we're looking for ways to expand that, especially for our black and brown associates whose retention rates in general are, are lower than their white counterparts. So we're trying to figure out what are the ways to tweak what we, what's, what's good about what we have, but intentionally tweak it for our um, 
black and brown associates. And I think ultimately I'd say that, you know, the program isn't perfect at the moment. It's come a long way in two years. I know Jamie followed it this whole time. Um, it's come a long way in two years, but we're, we're, we're committed to continuing to tweak it and to continue on building what we've learned to really invest in the, in the upskill, upskilling of our associates. Cause in the end, like we believe pretty strongly that if we can help associates build their skills, they'll be much better prepared to advance in, in our jobs and in others' jobs, right? So um, we're committed there and we're still working on, on, on doing that the best way we can. Great, thanks, Patty. So how you get the last word on upskilling? Uh, could you describe your skill development plans at Electrolux, who you're working with on upskilling and reskilling programs and where you are in the process? Yeah, so we are very early in our stages uh, around our upskill and reskilling initiatives. But uh, uh, one of the things that we're trying to do is uh, definitely learn from examples that we've learned here from uh, you know the various participants, and also uh, some lessons learned from from other organizations out there that are ahead of us. Uh, but our first step that we're doing is we're doing a uh, digital assessment, right? We're trying to understand what exactly are the digital skills uh, that we need in our plants and also in our offices. Uh, and luckily, um, the European Union and also the company that I worked previously, GE, has come up with about 150 digital categories uh, that they think are very relevant for now and the future. Uh, so we're taking those 150 categories and doing a skill assessment uh, and identifying the gaps. Uh, and then uh, once we identify the gaps, then for sure we'll work on mitigating those gaps. Uh, relating to that, there's been some really good research out there that... Um, that's, that uh, we're learning from, particularly from Amazon. And again, this is uh, uh, you know, public knowledge, but Amazon is actually partnering with local uh, university, uh, community colleges, I mean, uh, in the areas where they have their distribution centers. And they're investing millions of dollars in what they call their labs so that uh, they can make a replica of all this digital robots and software and technology that they have in their facilities are now in the community college lab so that when you get a job at Amazon, they will send you to this community college for a week or so for, so you to get your hands dirty playing around with that technology. Because I think all of us are aware uh, learning technology by listening is not really beneficial, right? It's, it's touching and feeling it. Um, so, and then, so once you go through that training and you go uh, into the actual facilities, uh, you're not scared of the technology. You know how to interact with it. So we're, we're learning that that's a, a good uh, best practice that we're going to try to incorporate as we go through filling out our gaps. Excellent, thank you. So uh, we're gonna move to Q&A here in just a little bit. Uh, so please uh, continue uh, adding questions into the uh, Q&A uh, section there. But uh, as we're kind of transitioning, Renita, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to have you put up uh, one more slide. Um, this is a slide of survey responses about policy investments. We ask employers from a national policy perspective what they believed would be most helpful for frontline workers to help them grow with their companies. And this is what they said. Uh, Renita, I don't know if you have anything you'd like to add to this slide. Okay. Um, I, so as uh, you're all taking a moment to look at this slide, uh, I wanted to let you know that we are uh, again going to be opening our question and answer session in just a moment. Um, while uh, you're doing that, I would like to introduce Ken Taylor, president of Training Industry, Inc., 
who was our partner on the survey that we conducted and a uh, invaluable partner. Ken, thank you for all you did to help us. Uh, Ken, uh, you work with training and HR leaders all the time. I would love it if you could share a few thoughts on what you've seen in the survey results and also what you've heard today during the panel and how that matches or doesn't match with what you hear from the companies that you uh, work with every day on these issues. Thanks a lot, Jamie. And it was a, it was a pleasure working with you uh, and the Institute uh, on this particular project. It was uh, fun to leverage sort of training industries panel of L&D experts and, and get them to weigh in on some of these subjects. And I think uh, I think the results turned out pretty, pretty positively for everybody involved. Um, what, from what I heard today and what we saw in the research, there's a couple of key themes that, that I think are common across almost all industries. And it was really interesting to listen to the panelists today and how they had very similar experiences around concepts like reskilling and upskilling, how they had very similar experiences around lack of data skills, not only on frontline, but also in, in, in leadership roles inside of organizations. These are, these are common gaps across all industries, across all companies, um, and, and L&D teams are being, learning and development teams are being tasked with, with trying to close these gaps as fast as possible. Really interesting supporting data that we're starting to see now in the first quarter is just the degree to which or co companies in general are making substantially higher investments in both the technologies to enable learning for their employees and, and the nature and types of programs that they're going to roll out. Um, one other theme I think that I heard across uh, uh, all of the panelists today I thought that is really exciting and again supported by some other research that we have completed is the increasing number of modalities being used to help employees consume new content and develop new skills. Um, we think that pattern has actually been coming along and was accelerated by, by the pandemic um, because what we, uh, we have done quite a bit of research around learner preferences and how that impacts the employee's perception of both their role and, uh, and the program that they're participating in. Um, and, and that research has this one really cool finding that if I have at least one experience in a program in a modality that I prefer, and modalities could be like in-person or, or some e-learning or micro-learning or reading, reading a pamphlet on it or having a job aid or having some coaching. If I have just one experience in a modality that I prefer, my whole perception of both the company and the program goes up. Um, so we think that this, this, this theme of accelerated use of various modalities, even and, and concepts like practice, building practice into, into our programs is really kind of the future of learning and development and, and supported by not only this research and the stories we heard today, but by other research that we've been doing. Great, um, thank you, Ken. Um, and if it's okay, I'd love to invite you to stick around for the question and answer session. And uh, chime in there. Wonderful. Thank you. So uh, as we move to questions and, uh, and answers, um, I thought maybe we could do a really quick lightning round question and each of you respond. Um, I would just love to know uh, uh, what are some of the changes that 2020 brought about in your company that may be here to stay? Um, Missy, how about you? I'll jump in. You cannot over communicate. In a time of crisis, people need to hear more, but that needs to continue. What we found from our employees, the more that we engaged in listening and sharing sessions with them, the more they felt that sense of belonging with the organization. So we definitely will continue to communicate and communicate frequently to keep that sense of connectedness in a world that is so very disconnected. Great. How? 
Yeah, the, the, the thing that we learned uh, about our organization is we're, we're definitely more agile than we thought. Uh, and then we can quickly adapt uh, quicker than we thought too. So having that type of confidence now, knowing that, uh, you know, if we're told to, uh, uh, to make sure that everyone in our plants is, is six feet away from us by next week, uh, and getting that done has actually shown that uh, when we put our efforts together as an organization, we can pretty much move mountains. So that's a, a great uh, confidence builder. And, and uh, we're taking that learning and that feeling uh, to go tackle some other big things that uh, maybe in the past we just think we didn't think we could do. Great. Thank you. Uh, Abby? Um, I'd actually echo Howe's um, piece that uh, even a company as gigantic as ours is quite nimble and can do things very, very quickly. Um, so that it's probably supposed to do just one, but that's one. And the other, the other really is the digital transformation. We, we, we are in the middle of it. Like we're, we're here to stay. These tools aren't going away. They make us more efficient in some good ways. They make us less efficient maybe in some others, but it's not, it's not going away. And so then what, what do we do with that as a, as an entire company um, to, to, to really bring us all along in that transformation. Great. Uh, Julius, love to hear what you say. Yeah, I, I think there's some similarities here, but I think for us, it's it's to not let the the perfect be the enemy of the very good. Uh, so when when you can uh, when you've been around since 1949, sometimes you run into a little bit of that. This is how we've always done it. Um, but we've always prided ourselves on innovation. Uh, but I think it'll just be more, it'll be much more rapid as it was during COVID. That's something that's um, that will not change. Uh, we will continue to move quickly. And, and if we fail quickly, that's okay. Um, it, it's not, it's not uh, such a, a big blocker for us anymore. Um, so I'm excited to see where it takes us, but that'll be one thing that definitely stays for sure. Awesome, thank you. So uh, there are a lot of questions coming in that really want more detail on issues that were raised during uh, your uh, uh, answers to questions earlier. Uh, the first one seems to be really around understanding the tools and processes that you all are using uh, to help manage learning for your uh, for your workers, including coaching services. Could you just maybe share a little more uh, detail about some of the tools that you use? I, I can share one. Um, so, you know, before COVID-19, uh, our usual training was get everyone together in a room and uh, sit through some training. Uh, and, uh, and then you're an expert, go do. Uh, and, uh, and a couple of things we've learned during the pandemic, we couldn't get everyone together, so we had to do it virtually. Uh, but, uh, you know, something I think, uh, Julius, you brought up previously about these micro learnings uh, and, and videos in particular. So uh, there's technologies out there where you can uh, make quick videos of uh, how to go solve a problem. So, for example, in our example, you have an issue in the production line. Uh, you whip out your uh, smartphone, you take a quick video about, hey, uh, I encountered this problem, here's how I fixed it, more than two, not more than two minutes, you upload it to a site that we have that's shared across the, uh, the organization. Uh, and we found out that uh, a lot of people encounter the same issues. So now there's a platform just like a YouTube where people can go to and say, hey, does anyone else experience this problem with their machine? Uh, and, and within two seconds, you've got your peer telling you how they fixed it. Uh, we found that being a great way to do some real, uh, real, real-time training. Oh, Zoom, 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 and certainly our learning management system. Uh, Saab is our back engine, so our Ashner Learning Institute leverages it to put out micro learning. They also put out curated lists to Ken Taylor's point on multiple modalities for learning when we're thinking about 
how does a leader lead with empathy, then we curate a number of different types of learning that could appeal to a leader, whether a podcast, a magazine article, a book that they might read, or a Zoom virtual training that we have developed so they can pick what is right for them for learning. The other piece that I would add to it in terms of helping us to move learning forward is an escalation huddle. So certainly as our operations had to respond to daily, hourly changing CDC guidelines, we would have a daily huddle that started at the unit level within a hospital, and then it would go up all the way to the CEO of that facility to a leadership council meeting. So all the lessons could be learned across the board and then disseminate it back out in an afternoon huddle. So that's sort of how do we raise things that the front line is seeing because they are closest to whatever problem is there that we need to solve for. And if somebody has a solution somewhere along that line, we'll be able to disseminate it across all. Great, thank you. And uh, Patty, you mentioned Guild and you mentioned some of the other resources. I don't know if there are others that you wanna mention. I watched Julius come off of off of mute, but I'll go first and then you can go. Yeah, I would say um, the, the coaching kinds of tools that we were talking about are are really um, the the majority the ones I was mentioning are really a part of of Guild's platform. So they have um, they're 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 both academic and career type coaches, and it's around trying to help folks find their way into the into the right programs if they've got if they're tripping up in certain kinds of um, in a particular course, um, what, what other help can be can they get for it, etc. So there's somebody they can reach out to, um, to, to, to keep going basically, because um, we have learned and I think others have learned a lot that that often the the, the, the biggest the, the, the single most um, important thing you can do for somebody is to is to answer a question in a moment when they have it right and um, that's what those coaches are really good about doing. Great and Patty another question that came in uh, dealing with the live better you was uh, just how the program is funded. So we pay for it. <laughs> That's the simple answer. Um, um, it is totally subsidized by Walmart um, and the employer, uh, the, the associate um, pays a dollar a day. So there is, you know, obviously there is some, some bit that they do, but, but it translates to about a dollar a day, um, their commitment to it. Great. Um, Julius, I'm, I apologize. I uh, missed you. Oh, no, no apology necessary. Um, I, I would say uh, I would echo Missy uh, a learning management uh, system that uh, that that can really meet your needs and, and allow you to meet your people where they are uh, through a lot of different mediums, whether it's digital training, uh, digital instructor led, um, or or for people who like to to read you know instruction manuals and things. You you, you want a learning management system that can really meet meet those needs and and give you different uh, uh, media. To, to, to reach people uh, in, in the way that's most effective for them. Uh, the other thing I think that's, uh, that's been big for us is pulse surveys. Um, we do, we've always done a, a traditional engagement survey, but uh, utilizing pulse surveys to very quickly get information um, and, and data to help you, you make better decisions uh, it, almost in real time. Uh, from your frontline team is is a real real big win for your organization if you can leverage that and and, and use it properly. Great. 
And so one of the questions that's come in is asking uh, back about the hiring process that we all talked about early on. And they're wanting to know, so are you going to continue this hiring process or do you think things will go back to the way that you originally did them? Is that is that question relating to like the, the demand that we have right now? Do we think that it's going to subside and, and decrease or is this some is that is that? The I think it may have referred to the speed as well. Okay. And the process. Yeah, I, mean, I, I oh, I'll, I'll talk about the demand side. Um, I, I wish it went back to pre uh, COVID-19 um, demand because right now it's it's gotten very difficult to find the, the right skill sets for, for digital workers. Um, uh, but again, that's the reason why we're investing in this reskilling and upskilling um, opportunities. Uh, but I, I don't think from, uh, from what I, the, the research we've, we've uh, shared here, the research I've seen and also what I've experienced, uh, there's not gonna be a, in my opinion, a decline in uh, digital skill set hiring. Uh, but, but there is a decline in what we call the, um, the uh, turn the wrench type jobs, right? These are the physical jobs and plants uh, that uh, our robots are replacing. But that, that's, uh, I think that's a great opportunity for us to upskill the employers uh, that were doing the physical labor. Now uh, we give them the skills to do more of the automation type stuff, which I think uh, from our conversations with uh, our employees is actually a better career path uh, that they see. I can, I can speak to um, our sets of hiring processes. Um, the, the, that notion of moving from it takes two weeks to get a to, to get a job in a store to it takes a day to get a job in a store is something that I think is going to be a permanent change. Um, but but beyond that, I would say that we we are working hard to think about the way that we um, to think about our hiring hiring processes and to think about our advancement practices, right? So uh, our promotions and everything else. Um, really trying to think about that from a race and equity point of view, like that's important to us. So we're, we are actually trying to actively change the way we do things so that we have a much more in it. Yeah. I hate to use the words as, as, as blanketly as this, a much more diverse um, talent pool, but we intentionally are looking to, to understand the ways in which we might be keeping black and brown people from getting the kinds of jobs that, that they need. So it's important to us. Great, thank you, Patty. So uh, another question has come in wanting to know if any of you uh, partnered in any way with your local workforce investment system and what that partnership might've looked like. Um, Missy, I believe you did. Yeah, and I'm actually a vice chair of the New Orleans Workforce Development Board. So, so I know there's another question about private, uh, private partnership, private public partnership, get involved. One of the best things that employers can do is show up the local Workforce Investment Opportunity Act boards in your community. They have access to talent that is looking for work. And it's a great opportunity to come in and have conversation around these are the skills we're looking for. Can we do a customized employer training program? Can we leverage Strive NOLA? or one of the other groups that are doing work readiness programs where we can readily plug talent in today. And we see that as an important entry point into our organization. And it's also a way that we can reach more individuals within the community who are looking for their next opportunity. So I would definitely say partner with your local workforce boards. They need active employers and they can help to even do the digital training that we are seeking. 
Great, thank you. Uh, one of the members of our employer network, Advancing Digital Skills and Equity, asked if any of you are working on building a digital uh, resiliency with people from with uh, multiple languages. Can anyone speak to that? We are not at this time, but I would certainly something that I do see on the horizon. Great. Okay. All right. Thank you. And uh, how we also had a question, uh, someone wanting more details about the information you shared around the digital assessments. Could you talk just a little more about that in the categories for digital skills? Yeah, uh, it's probably best to send you the link because uh, there are 150 of them. Uh, but I, I, I can tell you, um, when you read through them, you, and this, this is something that I learned through this exercise. I'm actually biased because uh, I grew up, uh, you know, I'm a, tech, I'm a techie guy, right? So I just make the assumption that everyone knows how to interact with computers and how to send emails and so forth, which is the wrong assumption. Uh, so as you read through, uh, and again, we can share this, uh, I can share the link with everyone um, to, to send out, but you'll read through it and you'll realize it'll, it'll, uh, it'll set the baseline that, oh, wow, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a minimum that, uh, that needs to be in place that I just take for granted. And I think a lot of people take for granted uh, that uh, we need to make sure we expose that, hey, this is, this is causing the, the, the playing field to be unfair. Uh, and that's something that we're also addressing during this activity is uh, let's make sure that as we progress in this digital world, we don't leave people behind. Uh, and, uh, and it's happening. Uh, and uh, it's very eye-opening for me. And, and, um, and like I said, there's, um, you know, like a, the basic stuff is, uh, can, you, can you actually bring up an email? Can you create an email and send it out? Uh, and, and, you know, when I read that, I was like, seriously? Uh, wh why, why would you need to assess that? And uh, we took it back to our plants and looked at it. And yeah, there are a percentage of people that um, don't have that. They might know how to do it reluctantly, uh, but they just don't feel comfortable doing it. So again, it's, it's, the, it's the spectrum of, uh, can they do it? Yes, uh, but can they do it freely? And then if you ask them to do it on the job, uh, will they want to do it freely? Uh, and that's, that's a different conversation. But I'll share that link uh, with the group here. Great. Um, Ken, I would love to know some of your thoughts on this topic as well. I can't imagine that, uh, or I would imagine that digital skills has got to be one of the topics that you hear the most about from the yeah. companies that you work with. Yeah, completely. And 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 I, just to reinforce House Point, because I think it's 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 on on so many levels. The number one challenge we hear from heads of learning and development across uh, across the globe is is that they don't they didn't know until COVID where their employees were in terms of their dig, digital competencies, right? So there was no real ongoing testing to see if people could send an email. Um, and, and what they found out, and because we, we saw uh, during our pulse data that we were collecting from the whole market during, during uh, right through the pandemic up to now, um, is, is they had this big spike in terms of oh, just basic computer skills. Like, can my, my, my knowledge workers even, do they know how to get online remotely? And are they comfortable in that environment? And and, and it's starting to come down now. It's the, uh, they're starting to, to, uh, to reduce that as a stress point, but it's still there. So, so, so in frontline workers, it has to be even more amplified, uh, those gaps. Great. Um, Julius, we had a question come in uh, asking for more information about your pulse surveys. Uh, could you talk a little more about how you administered those and uh, the types of questions that you asked? 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, for our Pulse surveys, our learning management system allows us to send those to all of our team members uh, using the system. So that was helpful. Uh, we also utilized like email and, and internal messaging systems uh, to, to get the word out. Um, some of the things that we would we did pulses on um, again, micro learnings was a was a new way of, of getting information out to our team members. So we would pulse on uh, on micro learnings to see what the effectiveness of it was, um, and then utilize that information to select the the next round of micro learnings um, or, or or to figure out what uh, what gaps there might have been. Um, so some of the questions around micro learnings would be like, you know, how effective was this training? You know, was it relevant to your uh, to your job? Um, would you recommend this training to a, to a coworker? Um, and I really like the opportunity to get comments too. People were able to give us comments and say, "Hey, I really like this," or you know, uh, th this training only took ten minutes and uh, and it was very impactful. So then I used that to sell it to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Here's this. This is uh, straight from your from your colleagues and from our from our fellow team members. The the, the this micro learning was fifteen minutes and it was great. So uh, it sort of helped uh, to 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 sell the the stuff as well. Uh, we also pulsed on, uh, you know, how did team members feel about our pandemic response? Um, how did our, uh, our, our uh, like myself, uh, a corporate support, center, corporate support center team members feel about working from home? Uh, you know, uh, uh, some of us uh, may have experienced this. I know for me, it was March 13th. I left the office and then I didn't come back <laughs> for, for at least a month or two. Um, then, and even then it was just to pick up some things. So. Uh, just checking in with people to see how they how how they felt about things, and then as long as we felt like we had enough responses to to take action, um, you know, we would use it to take action and, and, and inform decisions. So hopefully that helps. Great, thank you, Julius. You bet, absolutely. So a lot of our conversation today is focused on uh, you know uh, larger companies, and we'd just love to know what advice you might have for small and medium sized companies, how they might uh, be able to take on things like uh, digital skills, and what advice you might have for them. I can hop in uh, if that's okay. I would sure. say uh, one of the big things, it, it doesn't matter if you're a small company or a large company, I think we all have a lot of the same problems. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of how much budget you have to throw at it. Um, but uh, it, it, you really want to focus on, on your people, right? The focus needs to be on your people and, and, and understanding what their needs are and then figuring out the best way to meet them. Um, and again, I, I think I said it before, meeting them where they're at. Um, and, and being able to, to meet their needs in the way that they need them met. Uh, I think is, 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 is if you can focus on that, um, then you can make the budget work to, to, to the best of your ability to, to do exactly that. Yeah, I just want to add on to that. Uh, so, so uh, you know, we, we, we interact with various types of, of companies, big and small. And one of the things that we learned is um, if, if you're a small organization and you're, you're one of our vendors, we want you to be successful too, because we need you to be successful in order for us to be successful. So to Julia's point, uh, you know, uh, be transparent and say, hey, we're going through our digital journey too. Why don't we pair up and collaborate? Uh, and and you know, uh, the cost can be spread out and also the risk can be spread out. But one of the things that we've learned is uh, around digital is if you don't do digital outside of your corporate walls, you're not gonna succeed. You gotta bring in your customers, you gotta bring in your vendors and irrespective of the size, because it doesn't matter if it's a small vendor, if they can't, if they can't provide you that one component, you're not gonna ship any products. Right, so you're not going to discriminate against a big or small, uh, uh, you know, trading partner. But uh, just make sure that uh, you know we reach out. We're building that relationship. It's actually strengthening our relationship. Uh, we've identified uh, uh, points of gaps uh, around our digital connection. 
which once we solve it, will make both parties better. So, so that's the advice I give is, you know, go talk to your, uh, you know, if you are small and you're hesitant to go talk to you, maybe your bigger customer or so forth, don't because they're also going through their learning journeys too. Another piece of advice I'll tag on to that is leverage mentorship, internship opportunities, mentorship internally, great opportunity. You can even do some reverse generational mentoring because oftentimes it is our uh, Gen Z's and millennials who are really tech savvy and they can partner with somebody else in the organization and they can do some cross skills transferring through a mentorship and that can be no cost to a small organization. You can also leverage internships, summer internships with uh, young adults, 18 to 24, who are looking for entry-level opportunities, bring them in for the summer and get them plugged in and connected. And through that internship, teach those digital skills, leverage your local workforce arms. They're, your local community technical colleges typically have adult education courses that can be brought in and made available to team members. And as long as you've created a safe, place. We're all on this journey together. If you lack those skills now, that's okay. We're here to partner with you to get them. Then people feel safe admitting, yeah, I'm not so good at that email, but I know you're working with me. And it's not a barrier to my continuing to be here with you. Great. Right. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yes. Yeah, so so uh, in a previous company, we did that partnership where, you know, we have uh, the uh, we call them digital natives, right? These are the 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 um, the people that were born with an iPad in their hands, all right. And then uh, the the digital immigrants is is myself, where I lived in an analog world and I'm immigrating to the digital world. But the, the thing that was quite interesting is uh, the digital natives they'll come in and they know all about the technology, but they know nothing about the process. They know nothing about the, you know, the products that we make and so forth. And on the flip side, we have our more experienced employee who knows everything about our products and our processes, but they're just, they're just not digitally savvy. But, uh, you know, Missy, to your point, we, we built that safe environment. We said, you're going to help each other out because, you know, digital native, this person has 30 years of experience that he can, he or she can teach you within a few months and then vice versa, right? This person can send a, can text blindly. So, you know, just, just partner up and we built uh, these learn at lunches where we partner people up and say, hey, you know, at this lunch, we're going to talk about uh, this product where the, uh, the more, uh, you know, the more experienced person would teach. The next learn at lunch was around, we're going to teach you how to send an email. Uh, and, the, and, and it was just, it was, it was very powerful. Great. So uh, we're going to try to work in one last question here, even though we're almost at time. Um, so we heard so much today from changed hiring practices to how you're working with managers uh, to be better listeners, how you're listening to your employees more through the poll surveys and other things. So over the course of the last year, have you seen anything around retention? Um, are you seeing any, uh, you know, positive signs there that all of these things that you're doing are paying a positive uh, dividend there in retention? Um, from a from a giant company point of view, yes, we are absolutely seeing um, those differences in retention. Um, I think we've got the, a preliminary again measure that our, our retention rate for our frontline employees is up about fifteen percent um, from where it's been a couple of years ago. Fantastic, Patty. Uh, I don't know that we can yet say whether or not we've seen a huge impact on retention, but we did see a very large impact on our engagement surveys. We had the highest um, return on, on engagement 
uh, survey responses um, in 2020 than we've ever had. And I think that some of it was uh, because we forced people to, <laughs> to, to uh, use that digital platform um, a little bit more frequently and people got a little bit more comfortable with it. So we were able to, to get a lot more responses than we've ever gotten in the past. Um, so I think that that's an encouraging sign for us, you know, long-term, but I don't know that we can say for sure exactly any, any hard data yet when it comes to retention. And I think our engagement, we're, we use Gallup and we're at the 80th percentile for healthcare entities that we feel really strong about. We have a great positive environment for our employees. We have steady retention year over year. We didn't have it significantly high before pandemic either. What we do see though, and uh, this will just be my plug, continue to social distance and wear your masks because healthcare is exhausted. And we've really got to bring down the numbers and we need to do this for our frontline caregivers so that they know that we as a global community are all in this together. Right. Great. Ken, uh, if you don't mind, I'll give you the last word here and then I'll close things out. But, you know, we've really spent uh, the last hour and a half looking at what happened in 2020 and what's happening now and some of the implications for the future. What do you expect in 2021? And uh, in looking forward, uh, more of the same. The speed of the change isn't going to get any slower. Um, I think the uh, the nature of companies' dependency on data literacy and digital skills is going to be even stronger. Um, and uh, and L and D's learning development as as a function's responsibility to think more broadly about how to train and and equip our employees to make them ready for this uh, this change uh, is 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 a number one priority. Right. Kim, thank you. Appreciate it. So that is all the time that we have for today. We really appreciate you all being a part of this important discussion. I'd like to thank our panelists, Patty Constantakis, Walmart.org, Hal Din, Electrolux, Missy Sparks, Oshner Health, Julius Ridgely, Eaton Park Hospitality Group, also Daryl Graham, Strata Education Network, and Ken Taylor, Training Industry Incorporated. Uh, thank you also to our sponsors for this work and for today's webinar. Walmart.org and Strata Education Network. And finally, thank you to my colleagues in the Economic Opportunities Program who were here with us today and made today possible, Maureen Conway and Renita Jane. And also you didn't see her today, but Vivian Vasquez, Research Associate, um, has been really an invaluable part of this work and has worked uh, behind the scenes today to help us. And so thank you, Vivian. And also Victoria Prince, thank you. She's Research Associate with the Workforce Strategies Initiative. Thank you for your help today. And Tony Mastria, our Digital Communications Manager with, within EOP. He made sure all the technology worked and always uh, does his best to make us look good. I don't know where we'd be without him. So thank you everyone. Uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for being a part of this discussion.